0: You are listening to Squid and the Ultimate Leafs Fan.
1: Hello, Canada and hockey fans of the United States and Newfoundland, And an extra big hello to Canadian servicemen overseas. Hello, everyone, and welcome to another episode of Squid and the Ultimate Leafs Fan. I'm Mike Wilson, the Ultimate Leafs Fan, and joining me as always, my winger, Ricky Squid Vive. Squid, today we are joined by an ex teammate of yours who in the 70s was part of the dynamic one-two punch with Boris Salmi, Ian Turnbull.
2: Yeah, the hawk. Uh, he was uh, boy. i say he was a big, strong man too. I mean, he wasn't that tall, but he was like a bear. He was built big and strong, and uh, and he was a, a bit of a prankster too. He liked to have a good time. He liked to laugh and and joke around. And I, I think sometimes the coaches uh, that we had kind of looked at him and thought that maybe he didn't care because. He was kind of a carefree guy funny you know and everything else but but boy i'll tell you when he got on the ice it was all it was all about winning and, and playing the best that he could
1: well you talked about a couple of his pranks in your book so we'll get to one of them in particular that there seems to be a little bit of a question on it <laughs> but with uh, <laughs> so we'll we'll talk about that when we got him come up in a few minutes but just on a more somber note uh we'd like to give a a bit of a shout out to a big leafs fan who's going through a rough time right now by the name of Ken Irons, who lost his wife of 71 years recently. Uh, and we just want oh, to give right. Ken a shout out that, you know, along with your son, Patrick, us here at Leaf Nation, along with Leaf Nations, wish you nothing but the best. Keep your head up and all the best to you, buddy. Yeah,
2: Ken, I mean, uh, I, I can't even imagine what you're going through, but, uh, you know, uh, we're, we're here and we're behind you and uh, just uh, – Mike said, keep your head up and, uh, uh, you know, you'll, you'll get through this.
1: That's right. And so, I mean, again, uh, it's just all part of Leaf Nation. And I, I did notice on uh, social last night, a lot of people reaching out to Patrick and giving their best wishes. So, uh, again, all the best, to you moving forward. So, getting to our world of hockey, uh, some movement before we get to the Leafs, uh, particularly our old friend, Berkey. Is uh, picking up and uh, has a new address in Pittsburgh, along with uh, Ronnie Hextall. What do you think of that move?
2: Well, I think I think it's pretty solid move. Uh, uh, You know, Berkey had that uh, uh, position in Calgary as the president of hockey operations, and he hired Tree Living, and you know, he let him do his job. And I'm assuming he's going to do the same thing with Hextall. And uh, you know, Berkey's a pretty smart hockey guy, and I think that. He's going to be a real big help to Hexall going forward. I think, you know, because they're going to have to make some changes. They got some guys that are getting a little bit older now. Um, I mean, obviously, I'm not talking about Crosby or Malkin or Latang or any of those guys, but but there's some other guys, and they got some good young players too. So, you know, now what does that mean for the coach? and you know there is something that you know we've seen so many times a new general manager comes in and if they don't make the playoffs this year or they don't win the first round may he be gone and, and I don't know I mean that you know that that's a that's a pretty good question I think uh, that could be asked to those two guys is what, what's going to happen going forward uh, I mean Sullivan has done a great job so far and, and I'm sure he's I mean it's not that he all of a sudden as most guys they don't all of a sudden become bad coaches it's just it's whatever they have That's on right. the bench and uh you know so uh but i expect they'll make some moves with berkey and uh uh and them and, and I, I think that uh, they'll get things turned around there.
1: well it happened all pretty quickly and is if it goes according to as was suggested in the, the median by berkey himself was uh, mario i mean they were Brian gets a lot of requests from people questioning, you know, the, the, you know, I guess the awareness or the abilities of certain players or managers around the league, because he does have a real good eye for talent and knows what it takes to win and lose. And I guess Mary was saying, well, well since Burke has so much information and all these guys and he's given us all this, why don't we go out? Why don't we ask him to join us? Yeah. So, I mean, state the obvious, why don't yeah, But that's exactly what they did. And so good on them reacting that way. And, and for acting that way and yeah Mike Sullivan it'll be interesting to see what happens there because he does have back-to-back cups on his resume and mm-hmm. a pretty good hockey squad so we'll see now well
2: you're right, right about Burke. He's, a, he's a smart guy because he drafted my son so
1: <laughs> that's correct too that's exactly right Justin but we can back that one up well don't look now but we're at the quarter pole of the national hockey league season oh boy only 14 games mind you yeah. But I think I think we got enough of the sample side to make a couple of opinions. Who's been a bit of a. Po- now we're going, over, of course, we're referring to our Maple Leafs. Yeah. Who, who would you yeah. categorize as surprised so far that you on the positive side of the Leafs?
2: You know, the one guy that I think, uh, based on last year, uh, that he, I think he's come out and he's played extremely well this year is uh, Kerfoot. I see a lot more jump in his game this year and, and he's playing a little bit more physical. He's, he's making some, some things happen. And I, I, you know, I mean, aside from the obvious, he's a guy who stands out to me as a guy that's really turned his game around from last year to this year.
1: Yep. So on the other, let's go to the other end of the spectrum. Who do you think is not living up to expectations so far?
2: Oh boy. Uh, that's a pretty one one. Um,
1: Well, I'll talk about, I'll tackle this one to start off with insights. So not to throw you under the bus. So I'll go with number 88. I think 88 has been a bit of a disappointment. You know, he's getting some points. He's too much of a perimeter player. Um, and he looks like Tyler Cranston out there sometimes flying around, you know, circling around the rink. But, and the sad part is he has so much ability. He's got so much more to give. And I think in a way I know this will sound crazy, but he's hurting Tavares to a degree because Tavares yeah. needs those muckers that are getting to get in and getting the puck yeah. and not just dish off all the time. And that's why, you know, you know Johnny, well, look, Johnny, last like the two grinding goals. Yeah. And that was, he was at his best. And that's what that's, you're going to in get into the best out of the John. So I think in a way, you know, you know, I know, I know an has got some points, but he's got to pick his game up and play better.
2: Well, I think I think he started out well. That that's the thing. He had he, a, he had a strong start, but then, you know, all and and I you know I I do I have to agree with you hundred percent that you know I, I think he he's always been a perimeter player. I think he's always going to be a perimeter player. I don't think he's a guy that's going yeah. to be going into the corners and mucking and you know grinding and that sort of thing. That's not that's not how he plays, but if he's going to stay on the outside and not get quality scoring chances, then he's not going to be effective. And, you know, and I agree. I think Johnny needs more guys like, uh, you know, at least one guy on the line that is going to go in and get that puck and, and muck things up down low and keep the cycle going and that sort of thing is Johnny. That's exactly what he does. And uh, so, yeah, I, I guess the e would be a good choice for that. I would think, uh, I mean, there's maybe a couple other guys that I could name, but uh, and some of them that, you know, like Latin and a couple other guys that maybe, you know, if the American League had already been going like normal and everything else, yeah, they'd be learning a little bit more playing down Agreed. there and playing a little bit more. And, and uh, but unfortunately, they kind of had to keep him here and play him a little bit, see how he does. Uh, but I'm assuming once the American League gets going, those guys will probably find their way down there to get more ice time and, and uh, get, you know, climatized to the North American game.
1: Well, you can see, the, I mean, in Letton in particular, you can see there's definitely something there. They, yeah. He just got to get climatized to the, to the new surroundings and to the new game and ice surface and all that stuff. So it, it, to me, I think he's, he's a project worth uh, sticking with for the time being. And oh, you're, you're right, he's got to get ice time. He just got to play and he gets somebody's time at the American. Yeah.
2: You got to play. If you're a prospect and a good prospect, you've got to play. And if you're not going to, if you're only going to play five, eight minutes a night in Toronto, you may as well be playing 18, 20 minutes a night with the Marlies and learning, you know, how to be a good pro and how to play and how to play on, on, if you're a European guy, how to play on the smaller ice surface, that sort of thing. So, yeah, that, that is invaluable what you can learn at that level.
1: Well, I will see. And again, we've got uh, – I just see a note coming across that the Montreal game may get postponed for an hour or so tonight. And I know that's COVID stuff for the way to some testing, so I know what that does to the game Saturday night. But uh, we'll wait and see as we get through all this. But before we get to our man Hawk in the next uh, couple of minutes, just thought I'd throw my usual sort of uh, Maple Leaf stuff at you. And here we go. <laughs> and on this day in 1993 – Dougie Gilmore, a fan favorite, six assists leads to a 6-1 win against Minnesota. Gilmore, six assists in a game tied to Maple Leaf record set by Babe Pratt. Now, since Pittsburgh's been in the news this week, I thought I'd throw this one as an additive to that little story that on February 13th in 1988, a kid by the name of Mario Lemieux, who we've heard of before, scored a goal with the Pens' two men short, and added six assists and a seven five win at Los Angeles. Not only with the seven points, the seven point game he had, and all seven goals, he also gave 120 points in the season for the 17 point lead over Gretzky with 22 games left. Wow. 120 well, points. Yeah, he
2: was a pretty good player, Marriott. <laughs> My bad. <ain't> <laughs> well, and I've always said, you know. Uh, everybody talks about Gretzky's record and will it ever be broken and everything. And obviously it it may someday, uh, the way the game is changing and everything. But I always said if there was one guy that could have broke his, all his records or gotten very close, had he stayed healthy and didn't have the, the cancer and all that kind of stuff was Mario Lemieux because he was as good as Gretzky seeing the ice, uh, as good a hands but he was much bigger and stronger so he could do things that Gretzky couldn't yeah. do. And uh, so I, I think he, in my mind, if if somebody was going to get close to all those numbers, which are, they look unreachable uh, it would have been Mariel Lemieux had he stayed healthy through all those years.
1: I agree with that. And and if he'd, if he'd had the passion that Gretzky had for the game of hockey, Muriel just always looked to me like one of those guys, he was just so good at it. He just did it you know well, it just but Gretzky it was just Gretzky just lived breathed and ate slept hockey like from the time he was born to, to this day he still does
2: yeah and I, I think Lemieux probably had that as well I think much like Frank Mahavlitz I think people looked at him because of that long that's a good example looking stride that they didn't care but I, I, I think that's probably false I think they 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 cared, they cared a lot and I mean if you looked at some of the games from the playoffs when they won their two Stanley Cups in a row, Pittsburgh. I mean, he, he took a beating in a lot of those games, but you know he kept on going and scored some big goals for them. So um, I, I think that's just something that people look at and think, you know, God, he, he doesn't look like he's going 100%. Well, he is, it's just that he's big and tall and lanky and, and it looks like he isn't. Well, everybody used to say that about Frank, correct?
1: you oh. absolutely right, it did. and yeah. But the thing about Amu, too, is he even admitted himself, though, Rick, that, that uh, it wasn't until he played with Gretzky in 87 in the Canada Cup that he knew he learned how to win. It took more than just talent. And I think that woke him up, and then a couple years later, obviously, he wins a cup with Pittsburgh. So he, he learned from Gretzky, too, and that passion, and he got that instilled in him. But as far well, as gets, from my goodness. Probably from
2: all the guys on the Canada Cup. I mean, they were all good players and, and really hungry. Yeah. And, and don't forget, that was, that was only Mario's second, he had only played two years in the league at that point. That's right. You know, so, that's right uh, you know, when you look at that, you know, I mean, you come in at 18 years old, you're the first pick overall, and it's like, there's a lot of pressure. And uh, then all of a sudden you go to a Canada cup and you play with all these great stars that have won Stanley cups over and over. And you learn those things and uh, those are things you probably would have learned anyway but going to the canada cup just made it a little bit quicker
1: well again we hope that uh we hope that some of that uh, will rub off on some of our guys uh, coming into here and our guys will pick up on that and we'll see a little bit of that as we move along but i think once again it's time to bring our guest on so let's go see what the old hawk has to say squid our guest today enjoyed a 10-year career in the national hockey league including nine with toronto His best offensive year was in 76-77, the career highs of 22 goals and 57 assists, and an impressive plus 47, plus mining rating. And he also remembered, though, for the one... How about that? Plus 47.
2: Never saw very Um, many of those in the 80s, that's for sure.
1: Not... Well, that was the whole point of that little little tidbit I put in there. Uh, But a game against Detroit, February 2nd, 1977, five goals and five shots. You five shots in the first period and not have a a sniff. Well, how about that?
2: I mean, that's incredible. Five goals in a game, especially on five shots. But, um, as a defenseman, yeah, as a defenseman for sure. I I remember one night in Vancouver, we're playing against, by the way, folks,
1: our guest is Ian Turnbull. Yeah,
2: (laughs) yes, I
0: have, I, I have a name.
1: (laughs) (laughs) ian how you doing how's how you getting through the pandemic uh i'm i'm doing all right you
0: know this is this is my new fashion statement i can't go anywhere without this very nice stylish matches my shirt really nice
1: no little maple leaf on the side though well yeah i i I wore blue today for sure okay that's for now okay are you still working as a dealership uh,
0: yeah, I'm the IT director there. Although I only I only work four days a week, so I'm I'm scaling it back a little bit. But uh, yeah, I take care of all of the uh,
1: computers and Wi-Fi systems and everything else. So, well, be- before we go any further, Squid and I love nicknames, and now uh, you have one. I mean, obviously, my I you know anybody shortens a name Wilson. Wilson is my nickname, Bull for Turnbull. But you got one, I believe, Hawk. How did that yeah. all come about?
0: Uh, Hawk came from uh, a game in Boston uh, early in my career. Uh, Red Kelly was the coach and uh, somebody got sick and, and we couldn't get a replacement and he was, he was a left winger. So red came uh, to me early uh, in the morning skate and uh, I was a kid rookie and course you wanted to play no matter what so he, he asked me if I could play left wing and I said of course sure I can play left wing no problem <laughs> so uh he said okay well we're going to try you at left wing tonight so anyway uh Howie McKinney was was uh one of the funniest guys I ever played with yeah. but uh I think you guys had him on the show He <laughs> did yeah yeah I think he I think he called me a piece of work but I mean <laughs> 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 you talk about the pot calling the kettle <laughs> uh, anyway so I said to Howie, I said, "Man, I, I think I just screwed myself." I told Red I can play, uh, I can play left wing, and I have no idea. He says, "Well, what you got to do is uh, uh, think of your favorite left winger." And I said, "Okay, that's easy. Bobby Hull, Chicago Blackhawks." Ah, uh-huh. ah. So you know, Howie goes into a whole thing about uh, how. Um, Bobby Hull would come into a room and he'd light up the the room and he'd smile and say, hi, how are you? Bobby Hull. Nice to meet you. You know, all like that. And he said, he always had his pinky hanging out on his gauntlet. So I said, okay, I got it. So it turns out come game time, uh, I go and sit on the bench and red goes, uh, no, get out there. You're going to start, you're going to start on left wing. So they dropped the puck. It went back to our D And I took a couple of strides uh, up the ice and the D hit me with a nice pass. I went in on Jerry Cheevers and I scored. Very, 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 very first shift out of the gate. So when I came skating back, Howie was yelling at me going, way to go, Bobby Hawk. (laughs) So over the years it got shortened from Bobby Hawk to Hawk. So it has nothing to do with my nose, as you can tell. Well, that's a pretty good one, um, RV. You, you got you got that good laugh going still. I love it.
1: <laughs> yeah, you. But you're born in Montreal, but you cheer for the Detroit Red Wings growing up. I believe as a kid, you told me, and you I like, for the I like Detroit and I like
0: Boston. Yeah, both of those teams were kind of my my favorites. I, I really like Detroit because of Roger Crozier and of course, when when we were kids playing ball hockey you know, Crozier would be hanging off the crossbar. And so he, he was he was a great guy to emulate when you were playing ball hockey. And I always liked to be the goalie in the, in the ball hockey when we played. So, uh, and of course, they had a pretty darn good team, you know, with uh, uh, Apps and uh, Howe and uh, S- Sid Abel. And, I mean, just, you know, a lot of good, good players. So I always well, enjoyed you up,
1: watching. You end up playing for the Metro Junior Canadians. And your last year journey, you end up in Ottawa. Uh, Just take us through that whole period leading up to the the draft.
0: Uh, Well, uh, the junior Canadians at that time was in the OHA, which I think is the OHL now, right? Yes. Yeah. So uh, Montreal was the only uh, out-of-province team in the league at the time. And uh, that particular year, they decided that they would go back and play in the Quebec Junior League. And it was coming on my last year of of, uh, of uh, junior, and I was eligible to be drafted. And I kind of felt like um, I'd have a, I'd go a little higher in the draft if I stayed with the OHL or OHA as opposed to going to the Quebec League. So I opted to to, uh, to stay. And uh, then there was a it was a whole lottery thing. It was it was a whole crazy debacle about who was going to get me. And I wanted to play for the Marlies; they had p- probably the best team at the time. But uh, the league said, "There's no way in hell you're going to go to the Marlies." So, so my rights went to Sudbury, the Sudbury Wolves, and I had I had no ambition to go to Sudbury. <laughs> so, I went. No, I'm not going to Sudbury. So, anyway, somehow they they uh, they finagled a, a deal with Ottawa. And I, I got to go to Ottawa, and I was going to. I got enrolled in university there, so it worked out pretty good. Ooh,
2: it's great, good, good, good. Yeah. So, I mean, you go through all that, and then you get drafted by Toronto, and, and spend a little bit of time in the minors, but not a whole lot. Um, but we asked all our. Well, guys actually, the,
0: the
2: only time
0: I the only time I spent in the minors was after I had a knee injury. So uh, the year yeah. I got drafted, I actually, I actually made the team. Yeah, it was, oh,
2: yeah, it was the think, next year I was looking at that. You played eight games or-
0: Yeah, yeah, well, you know, I started the year, I started the year and I, I, it was going really well. And then um, I got sandwiched between uh, the Plager brothers and, and tore all the ligaments <laughs> in, my, in my knee and uh, I remember I, I was trying to break through, and and it was like a football hit. One 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 of the plaguers came low, the other guy came high, and I went ass over tea kettle, and uh, uh, had no hel- had no helmet on at the time. We never we didn't wear helmets at the, in those days, and uh, I remember ending up in the net with John Davidson. And so uh, Davidson <laughs> looks at me and he says, "Hey, you okay?" And and I said, "Yeah, I think so." And then I got up and I tried to put pressure on my knee and it was like a wet noodle. It was like flopping around like this. And I said, no, I don't think I'm okay. But anyway, you know, I just, somehow I just sort of waddled off because in those days you didn't lay, you didn't lay on the ice. You didn't tell anybody you were hurt. Yeah. So I just, uh, I made it, made it to the dressing room and the trainers uh, said, yeah, that's not looking too good. we like to ask
2: all the guys we have on like there's obviously a moment uh, or a period of time over a week or whatever where you finally realize like okay I am good enough because everybody you know you're not sure whether you're good enough to play with the big boys or not and then there's always that moment or or moments where you, you realize you know hey I am good enough where did that come for you
0: well, I think I think uh, after uh, training camp, um, that was the year that that we had. Uh, I think we had three first round picks. Yeah. And uh, I think uh, Jerry McNamara went went over to uh, Europe and and got the Swedes, uh, Boria yep. and Inga Hammerstrom. Yeah. And and so there were there were five of us at uh, training camp, all rookies, and of course that was the year that. Uh, the Leafs lost uh, the bulk of their D to the WHA, which had just come. And uh, I think uh, Jimmy Dory and uh, Ricky Lee and a uh, uh, few other guys, they all j- opted out for more money, uh, which is no big surprise playing in Toronto, right?
2: <laughs> yeah, no, especially yeah. yeah. back then.
0: Yeah. Uh, <laughs> yeah, 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 yeah. Ballard threw money around like manhole covers, man. Yeah. <laughs> it was during that training camp uh, you know we played exhibition games and everything else and everything was, was going pretty well and and uh, you know it, 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 there's just a realization that that yeah you're good enough to play you know and, and and you obviously from that point on you you work as hard as you can to stay there
1: well I was going to say Ian like that year is the year they got Lyna McDonald they traded and got Bob Neely then you went they also made the acquisition just of the two Swedes with Hammerstrom and Warrior, but they also made the acquisition of Jacques Plante, uh, Doug Pavel. So, I mean, there's some big changes going well, on.
0: Well, actually what, what happened, um, uh, I, think, I think Plante got traded, uh, his rights were traded to uh, Boston. And, and I think Boston's pick was me, the 15th pick. That's right. A- and uh, we ended up getting three goalies that year uh Doug Favell, uh, Dunk Wilson, and Eddie Johnson were the goaltenders. So we had three goaltenders that year. None of them wanted to stand in the net in practice. <laughs> they would They would just lean on the goalposts and wave their goal sticks. They didn't think that uh, um, taking shots was part of their job. <laughs> Well, I was, well, you've just ruined my whole
1: story there because I did Oh, I'm sorry. I'm sorry. No, I, what I, no, I teased you. I didn't me mean to ruin it. it. No, what I was going to say was going in with all those changes and all those draft picks coming in, that must have done wonders for your confidence going to camp because looking at all these moves and what the Leafs had happened to the defense, as you just said and Rick pointed out, your expectations must have gone even beyond what you thought of making the hockey well, rugby. Yes, I, just mean, I, mean,
0: I, mean, I mean, because of all those vacancies, um, there was a huge gap on defense. Yeah. So, you know, m- my chances of of sticking as opposed to being shipped off to the minors was pretty good. But of course, it was entirely up to me. Um, you know, you had to play well
1: enough to say yeah. It's always that's always been the rule, you know. Now, when you watch Salming for the first time, what do you think of him? honestly uh, terrific and and
0: actually um I, I can't explain it but but we meshed right away and uh you know incredible talent that guy i mean you know and and uh a physical specimen as they say
2: <laughs> <Yeah>. <laughs> well we had him on the
0: show he not was, too long I mean, ago and and he looks like he can still play oh i know he, he used to <laughs> piss me off i mean we, we go out and have a few drinks and, and, uh, I, I put on 10 pounds and he wouldn't put on anything.
1: <laughs> he did that to a lot of guys. He sure now, the hell did <laughs> Now Ian, Now, in coming out of, uh, uh, junior, besides the obvious, the talent level, what was the biggest j- adjustment you thought you had, to, or you had to make to, to stay at that level?
0: Uh, just, uh, just the tempo, you know, uh, uh, and and you know uh, body size. I mean, the, you're playing against men. Um, w- when I played junior, uh, I was one of the bigger kids. And uh, my last year, I played with uh, Dennis Putvan, and uh, you know the two of us were like men playing against kids, really. And yeah. and uh, you know once once you got to the bigs, I mean, you know there's a lot of guys that were, uh, you know, you, you couldn't just uh, bash them around because they you know they were big guys, so. You know that was the biggest adjustment. Is is um, yeah. You know you're playing you're playing against seasoned veterans. Squid, what
1: about you?
2: Yeah, it was. Uh, oh,
1: sorry to cut you off, Ian.
2: I wasn't the biggest guy. I mean, I went to the WHA. probably had six one, about a hundred. I don't even think I was one hundred and seventy pounds. Uh, but you know, a year and a half, two years later, I was I was one hundred and ninety five. So I mean, just right. from from practicing and, and playing and working out a little bit more. I mean, I, I put on all that weight over a period of what a year and a half, roughly. And uh, you know, then I felt oh. a lot more comfortable, but you know, I, I, cause I wasn't one of the bigger guys. Like when I was a junior yeah. at 17 years old, I was 155 pounds. And, right. you know, so. Well, uh, that's, that's
0: the thing. I mean, you have to, you have to grow into your body And, and in my case, I I grew into my body when I was like 14, you know, I was pretty, pretty much 190 pounds and six foot at at like 14 years old. And I I played junior from, you know, 13, 14, uh, I started playing junior hockey. And, uh, so, uh, but a lot of guys, I mean, you know, they, they don't bulk up and they don't fill out till they're in their early twenties. Yeah, and that that's just sort of a natural progression, I think.
2: No, I say it except for today's game where they have their own strength and conditioning coaches and skating coaches and uh, yeah. all kinds of different coaches for everything, and they're coming in at 18 now, and they're, I mean, they're strong. They're you know maybe if they're not big, but they're, oh, they're strong.
0: There, there's no comparison. Um, I, I don't remember. Um, did you did you end up going to Waterloo with uh, Roger and for all that uh, VO2 testing and all that stuff? No, no, no. that was before that, that was before you, I think.
2: Yeah, I didn't have but, Roger.
0: Uh, yeah, that's what I that's what I was trying to remember. It's been a long time, right? So um,
2: it's only been forty years, Hawk. It hasn't been that long.
1: <laughs> now you guys can't remember. Well, I was going to ask you, speaking of which, if you can remember this, Ian, you grew up in a hockey-mad city in Montreal. So maybe you you were used to the craziness and the nuttiness, the the falling of the Habs and all that kind of stuff. Then you moved to Toronto, another hockey-crazy city. But what was your early impressions from being at the home games and even on the road as a Maple Leaf? Was it beyond your expectations or as you would expect it?
0: No, it it was the way way I expected it. when when I was playing junior in uh, in Montreal with the Junior Canadians, um, we were we outdrew the Canadians in, in attendance. So so we were used to playing uh, in front of eighteen thousand people. Um, same when we came to Toronto with the Marlies, um, you know Montreal Junior Canadians against the Marlies was you know eighteen thousand people, and, and uh, uh, you know that. Never, you know, I, I always blocked all of that out. It didn't fans didn't phase me one way or the other. I just, you know, you you still have to
1: play the game, so you block it out. Good, good, bad, or indifferent. <laughs> well, I was going to say my next question here is: to you, is that there must be something in North American water for the first for the early part of the month of February because February the 9th nineteen sixty four, the Beatles played Ed Sullivan for the first time and changed music forever. February the 7th, 1976, Daryl Sittler had a 10 point game, all time record, hasn't been broken close a couple of times. You even got on the score sheet that night with a goal. And mm-hmm. then February 2nd, a year later, 1977, you score five goals on five shots for an NHL record. Maybe give us a little insight into what you were feeling as a teammate of Daryl's when he was going through his special night. And then a year later, the shoes in the other foot, and you're having this extraordinary night on the ice.
0: Well, I mean, <laughs> I mean, there, there's no way in hell you plan it. Okay. Um, in Sittler's case, I mean, he was so pissed off at me because I was late picking him up. <laughs> and, and we all used to drive in from Mississauga. And, uh, you know, the night that he scored all the points, we were running late, and I, I overslept a little bit. And then, of course, I I uh, picked everyone up, and I said, "Oh yeah, by the way, guys, I got to stop for gas, so I had to stop for gas." And then the kid, the kid that was uh, uh, attending to us, said, "Can I check your fluids?" And I said, "Sure, go ahead." So he he checked the fluids, and he mistakenly put some uh, some oil in the radiators. So, oh, so he said, uh, "It'll only be a couple of minutes. I'll, I'll drain it, and it, it'll, it'll be good." And I said, "Yeah, okay, go ahead." Well, by this point, like Sit is just going crazy. <laughs> we got to get to the rink. We got to get there. I'm never driving with you again, you son of a bitch. <laughs> so we we sat together, and 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 uh, at the end of the at the end of the game, he had, he ended up with six goals and four assists, so ten points. So I came in after the game and I said, sit, see, I told you, getting to the rink early is overrated.
2: (laughs) Uh, Speaking of that, it's funny you talk about getting to the rink early because when I I went to Chicago and got traded there, Steve Larmer, like, I mean, he used to, and I used to like getting there early too to get my sticks ready and and everything. Right. So then it became like a contest. And I finally I said to him, I said, Hey, Larms, why are we wasting money on cabs all the time? Why don't we go together? I'll even let you walk in first if you want to and say you were here first. So we used to sit in the stands and and back then have a cigarette, tape up our sticks and, right. and get ready for yeah, the game. Exactly. <laughs>
1: yeah. Yeah. No, but as the as the similar game was going on, no, what was going through your mind as those goals were going in the assists? Were you just aware of it, or was it just the, the the game just buzzing by you? And then your own night when the goals were going in, you're like, was this just a blur?
0: Yeah, I mean, you're just playing the game. I mean, you know, as they say, stuff happens, right? I mean, I mean, you don't show up at the rink saying, "I am going to get ten points" yeah. or "I'm going to score five goals." I mean, I mean, there were plenty nights I had equal opportunity to. To score five goals and nothing happened i mean you hit a goal post or 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 whatever right so i mean you never plan these things but you know whatever every now and then the stars align and uh, everything goes well and i mean you know you you ride with it you just i mean i remember the the fifth goal um talking to borea and 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 borea said hey if the, if the if the face-off comes back to me you you beeline it down through the middle and I'll hit you with the pass. I said, OK, let's do that. And it, it turned out and it, and he hit me with a perfect pass at the blue line. I mean, I mean, you don't. That's in no playbook. Any coach. <laughs> no, I, I hear you. you. You don't send your D down the middle <laughs> off a face off.
1: Well, she's got four goals.
0: Well, unless he's got four goals, and then it's okay. You get a green light from Boria. <laughs> yeah.
1: Well, let me ask you this. Let uh, me Borea, put it this way. You always told a, me.
2: Hold on, Boria is probably about the only guy on yeah. the team that could give a green light without having to worry about getting traded by one oh, yeah. Harold <laughs> by one Harold Ballard.
0: <laughs> yeah, absolutely.
1: Well, maybe Squid, you can answer this too. So tell me this one, and and you can answer this one now too, Squid, is uh you hadn't watched the highlights of those five goals for years. When you and I met in LA, when I was following the Leafs a couple of years ago, yeah. Um, and some guy sent the video to you and showed them to you. And as you said, you're watching me, kind of chuckling, said they sure didn't look on video like they felt going in the net that night. And you're kind of yeah. laughing about how the kind of easily the goals were going in.
0: Oh, absolutely. I mean, I, like I said, uh, I think. Uh, uh, what's your sports TSN or whatever? it yeah. is? yeah, yeah. Some guy came. Some guy came to LA wanted to interview me and uh so i did an interview with him um doing you know my recollection of the five goals and i had never seen them so i had i had no idea all i had was you know my my visual take of it my memory okay so he matched uh the interview with the the video and uh, and he sent me a copy of it and that was the first time i had actually seen the goals And I was laughing because the, the interview had been pre-recorded, And then when I started watching the goals for the first time, I said, wow, that's not what I thought, (laughs) you know? So, so, you know, it was, it was just pretty hilarious. And that was like 30 years later. So, you know, I, I never really thought, you know, I, I was out in LA. I didn't, I didn't even think
2: about hockey, to be honest.
1: It's great. Yeah, that, you have a couple of those. You probably have a few of those. Oh, in your I mind. imagine
2: there's a bunch of them that I would describe if I was being interviewed as, you know, highlight real goals and then you see how they went in like Ian said, and, and uh, they're nothing what you would describe them yourself. And, uh, but I, I agree with one thing, like I'm doing a thing this morning for a charity with Gary Lehman and uh, uh, we were talking about 50 goals. And I said, well, I mean, you don't start the year thinking about scoring 50 goals. You know, the year before I did, I had 33. And I and the goal is, okay, I want to be better than I was last year. So if I get 38 or I get 39, well, okay, that's good. I I want to get better every year. You don't go into the season or you don't go into a game thinking, I, I'm going to score five goals or I'm going to score 50 goals this season. It's, it's kind of like, uh, it just kind of happens. It's like one of those. Unbelievable things that you you don't think you're going to do it, but it does it just it organically happens.
0: Yeah, and, and you don't you don't question it at the time. I mean, you just yeah. roll with it. I mean, yeah. I mean, I know RV. You knew you knew certain nights you were on, man, and 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 yeah. you would just go with it, and good things would happen. And then there were nights that you know you'd have all kinds of chances and. I mean, you, you you couldn't you you couldn't put it in the ocean,
2: <laughs> you know. Like and that's just thing. the way. It, I mean, yeah. When I, I was that's in Vancouver, and we're playing against Pat Riggin in the Atlanta Flames, and Pat was my roommate in Birmingham. I had 14 shots on goal that night and came out with zero goals, and and so he got the upper hand on that one. The son of a bitch. And then I think the next time I played him, <laughs> I think. I think I scored a hat trick the next time, so got him back.
1: <laughs> well, I can tell you guys this. It's the opposite in my beer league hockey because goals going off, guys' asses, skates deflected, hit three skates, a post and go in the net, but in the bar two weeks later, it's through the whole team and upstairs. Okay. Oh, okay. absolutely. Okay. So yeah. it works the opposite in the in oh, the, yeah. the
0: stories, the stories always get better with time.
1: It's like buying <laughs> wine. Well, speaking of stories, here's one for you: the '78 playoffs against the Islanders, Boryuk yeah. gets hurt. Yeah, you step up and play the best hockey of your career. But I gotta ask you this: it, it may be a tough question to answer because you maybe you, you've kind of answered already with your five goal game. I'm sure the mood was not particularly upbeat when it was official the boy result. I'm sure that management, the fans, and even some of the players thought, "Boy, oh boy, we're gonna be done now." But you just seem to pick it up. But was there something inside you just Said to yourself, now's when I can really show my mettle as a player. I'll step up. I've really got to take my game to the next level and just push yourself to be even better.
0: No, um, I think I think the only difference uh, was that Salming wasn't there. Mm-hmm. I mean, I mean, I, I played some pretty pretty good hockey with the with the Toronto Maple Leafs. Yes, you did. Um, uh, Bory and I had eighty points almost each one year i mean i mean what defensive pairing can, can can you think of that you know put up that those kinds of numbers but Bory had a whole different style so when when we were out together um you know uh, uh, the best analogy i have is is that you, you you're either the lead in in the show or you're the side man so you know my, my role was to do what I could do, but I was still playing pretty goddamn good hockey. And, and the only difference was that he wasn't there and I was more visible. And, and of course, without him, um, my ice time was, you know, pretty substantial. I was on all the time. And so I was playing, you know, power play and penalty killing and doing everything else. And uh, you know, I, I remember distinctly when we got to the seventh game and we got uh, into the overtime. I kept thinking to myself, Hey, we got it. We got to end this early. Cause I said, there's no way in hell. We're going the longer it goes against the Islanders, we're not going to have any chance in hell. And uh, as it turned out, I remember uh, the Islanders were coming back out of, out of their zone and, um, I would have normally backed up on this particular play, and for whatever reason, the the, the forward sort of dropped his head for a half a second, and I, I I raced up to him and I kind of caught him by surprise, and that's when I when I got the puck and Lanny was actually trapped like he was he was trapped in the zone, and he was he was skating like hell to try to get back into the play, and I ended up with the puck and I just threw it. At Lanny, like like I could see him coming, and I literally like I couldn't lay a pass to him. I I li- I just rocketed it right at him, and he caught it, and he turned, and he caught the two defensemen flat-footed, and that's another tape I hadn't seen forever. But I realized when I saw it, I remembered what happened, and and uh, sure as shooting, Lanny goes in, and, and you know Lanny comes in on a breakaway, he's going to score a majority of the time. And that, that was everything that was like, we, you know, that was the uh, uh, pinnacle of my career at that point, because that's exactly what we were trying to achieve collectively as a team. You know, we wanted to win, we wanted to compete. We wanted, you know, you always want to win a Stanley Cup. I mean, that's, that's why you play, at least that's the way I played.
1: Yeah. Well, I was going to say to you, though, Ian, is it in, and again, I think you're being a, a slight modest here on that with your play because you did play exceptionally well with you and Borea, 80-point type guys, and that's, that's almost unheard of in hockey. Uh, it is unheard of in hockey in today's game for two defensemen on the same team, but you would agree it's much easier to cover one of those guys than have both of them on the ice at the same time. So that had made your job a lot tougher or a lot easier for the Islanders to defend against. So for you to take your game to that next level – is something that uh, you can hold your head pretty high on. And speaking of which, Bruce Boudreaux told me that he didn't even play in that last game, but he said it was probably one of the greatest moments and highlights of his career as a Maple Leaf. But the celebration on the way home on the plane is something he'll never forget. Can you add to that part of the story?
0: (laughs) Uh, Yeah, I don't know. It was a celebration. (laughs) (laughs) We, 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 we did a
1: lot of celebrating, right, RV? <laughs>
0: yeah, win or lose. <laughs> yeah, yeah, yeah.
1: Oh, uh, yeah. We got you got the point now. What happened against the cane? The team just ran out of gas. Was well, it just emotional we, letdown?
0: No, I mean we were we were broken and crippled. Yeah, that's what I meant. I mean, you know, I I, I I remember I remember having my my hand was I had to have it shot up with uh, cortisone otherwise i couldn't hang on to my hockey stick um, uh, lanny i think had a broken jaw i mean the guys were like we were the walking wounded when we got out of the island and of course the the, the canadians had been sitting there for a week and change you know
2: yeah, and they, they well, were a bad hockey them. they were a bad hockey <laughs> oh, <all. laughs> and
0: it, it, they were a pretty good team you, you think <laughs> yeah. so i mean you know there was no way where we, we, we achieved a level, uh, but we were nowhere near the Canadians. And of course they were winning. Like, I think they won like four, five. four Stanleys in a row. I don't know. Five. Yeah. Well,
2: five and, in the, and the 70s. they were great. Five, they yeah. won five yeah. in the seventies.
0: Yeah. And I mean, I, I remember, I remember, you know, I just remember that um, you, you'd be, you'd be playing your ass off trying to beat these guys. You'd think you were in the game. And then they'd, they'd wake up and go, oh, no, no, <laughs> no. And then they fill your net. <laughs>
1: well, so, so let's just talk about the team at that level. All of a sudden that year, like I come out, the expectations I know in the city were up, but they're always high for Toronto, but they're exceptionally high. The players must have had a real good sense going home because you knew you were close. So with the team on the verge, Anders Hedberg and, and Alf Nielsen were wanted to come to Toronto, Ballard wouldn't sign them because he, you know, said he couldn't afford them. He then does his usual. <laughs> he does his usual. So, hey, I'm listen. Hey, I'm reading a book right he, now. On, he, he always
0: he always pleaded poor.
1: Are you kidding me? <laughs> hey, boys, I'm reading a book right now on the uh, battle for control of Maple Leaf Gardens. I, I haven't read it before, and I, it's it, boy, they will turn your head. Anyway, he was doing his usual fashion of nonsense. Rings in Punch Him Black. All of a sudden everything starts to go array. I guess the one good thing of you got to play with the guy who's in the screen next to you on, on the, the screen here for a little bit. But what was going through your mind when all this stuff was going on?
0: Well I, I mean I, I, I was extremely disappointed because you know we had worked hard for six, seven years since you know since I turned pro to, to become a, a competitive hockey team. And here we were, you know, like I said, uh, we, we felt like we got somewhere beating the Islanders, but we were still like a, just a you know a couple of players away from really really having a good contender. And uh, I just remember at the time that, you know, uh, I I really didn't know what was going on, but uh, I also knew that uh, Ballard wasn't really happy with uh, how do I put it? Some of the players maybe had a little too much say about what was going on. And I don't think Ballard liked that too much. And uh, he, you know, again, and and he was under a lot of pressure because the guys were getting to a point where they were trying to, you know, they were commanding a little bit more money and he didn't want to pay for a winner is the way I always sort of took it. He he didn't want to pay for a winning team. But he his plan was just to bring Punch in, dismantle the team. He got rid of uh, uh, McDonald and Siddler and you know a bunch of other guys, and then it it just uh, the doors kind of opened, and uh, he you know the, the team was dismantled basically.
2: Yeah, for me it wasn't disappointing because it brought me to Toronto, <laughs> and uh, unfortunately, <laughs> well, I guess...
0: yeah, yeah, but you see, you see, RV ha- had. I mean, you, you were one of the fitters that I was just talking about. Yeah. You know? So, you know, if, if, if they had not done all of that stuff um, you quite possibly could have been dealt here anyway. And, 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 and to have you go on and score 50 goals for what 10 years, did you do that in a row? (laughs) No, but be, you know, you, you know,
2: But could,
0: I mean, a 50 goal guy on our team uh, with, you know, Siddler and McDonald and, and uh, the,
1: the likes. I mean, that, that's huge. Yeah. yeah. So now, how was your relationship with Harold through all of that? Did you ever have any discussions with him to view uh, some of your thoughts? No, uh,
0: Her- Harold called me Bob for my first two years. <sighs> and then and then he then he then he realized he was calling me bob and he came up to me one day and he said ian i said yeah he says well i've been calling you bob i said yeah i know he says well why didn't you say anything i said well i don't care what you call me as long as you pay me uh, every second week i'm okay with it And, and i walked away and that's when he started like like liking me a little bit because because he, he just laughed you know i dropped i stopped him in his tracks and i just went yeah okay and then he would come by and uh he, he would he would say like uh what do you think and i'd go nah, i don't get paid to think harold i said it's your ship you you sh- you run it the way you want i don't don't ask me <laughs> so Valium, like, can you say the same
1: thing about punch
0: well, I, I negotiated
1: my contract with Punch,
0: and, and uh, you know, I, I I really didn't know the guy. I mean, other than you know, I was in the middle of a contract. Um, Ever, you know, all hell broke loose, and then I, I was still in the middle of a contract, so I had to go in and and negotiate with him. And in those days, this is this is when Eagle was doing all his stuff. Mm-hmm. And, and uh, a lot of agents were double dealing, double dipping. I mean, it was a pretty dirty business in those days. And uh, anyway, I went in, I started talking to Punch. And he says, where's your agent? I said, I got rid of him. He says, good, I, I should give you more money then. I said, well, that would be okay. <laughs> so, but uh, well, we, uh, didn't,
2: we didn't have the luxury of uh, salary disclosure back then either, which you know, was a big reason. Why
0: yeah. That. I, I never, yeah. You know, like, like, you know, w- when I was playing in those days, you, you know, it was really nobody else, nobody's business, what you were making. And then, then, then after, you know, the disclosure, I mean, you know, every, you know, everybody's on a chart. So you, you're, you're just like, you know, they're, they're comparing apples to apples and oranges to oranges and, if you're you're this, you're worth this, and which which is you know ultimately good for the guys. Yeah. Obviously, I mean, gee, the money they're making now,
1: I mean, gee, it's unbelievable. Yeah. Well, I was going to say, Ian, um, that name there—it is again, Squid. That Eagle name comes up all the time for some reason, and not in a good light ever. Uh, any dealings with Mr. Eagleson over your time?
0: Well, I mean, Eagle. Eagle had almost all the guys on the team. Except for uh, Borea Boria and myself and maybe one or two other guys. So he, he basically blocked negotiated for the whole roster. He had he had everybody, you know, Henderson, Allman, or uh, uh, Ellis, uh, Sittler, I mean uh, Jimmy McKenney, I mean Pellick, I mean everybody, Glenny. So so i mean he ran he ran the roost and then he was of course on top of that he was running the players association and of course all of his guys were the were the reps at the time i was not a very much of a fan of eagles yeah no, i don't
2: think there was too many always were.
0: i always felt i always felt he
1: had too many hats on all the time yeah, you're so Ian, we haven't heard too many times
2: yeah no kidding so even i get the throttle i mean it's like a I mean, it's like a circus at that point in time. And uh, of course, all Daryl's buddies are getting traded. I got traded for one of them, in the Tiger. Yeah. And he brings yeah. in a guy named Carl Brewer. And I remember in <laughs> practice one day, we were doing, <laughs> doing it. Okay, hold on a minute. I want you to describe what happened during that <laughs> drill we were doing, the skating drill. <laughs>
0: The skating drill, the infamous skating drill? (laughs) The accident. Are you talking about the net accident? (laughs) Uh anyway, uh my rec here's my recollection, okay? Um we're 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 racing for whatever reason. And I'm I was not a good practice player, as RV well knows. I was not big on practicing, but we were racing and they had brought brewer in and he was i think he was only 43 or something but you know from our perspective he might as have been might as well have been a 100 right so you know uh, we're skating and i'm i'm just trying to stay ahead of him i, I don't i don't want to go as fast as i want to go but i wanted to stay ahead of him because i didn't want him to pass me so um, he I can hear him chugging and he's coming up behind me and i go on, he's he's just hell bent to beat me. So I came around, they, they used to pull the nets away from the, the boards in the corner, right? So I remember that that I took I took a really sharp turn around the net to try and make a, a cut up the ice and get get going. Well, I grabbed the goal post okay, and used it for a little bit of leverage. But unbeknownst to me, as I pushed, the net spun (laughs) and went the opposite way. And so Brewer was right behind me. And so the net kind of went 180 and and the goalpost uh, caught Brewer and he was coming around the corner with his head because I remember it was, and the, the corner of the uh, the crossbar caught him right on the melon, and he had he was bald right, yeah. so I mean it was just this great explosion of blood right, and I went oh no wow, but that was that was a pure accident you know I I got accused of doing it on purpose and that was never the case at all, it just it just was one of those things that that happened.
2: Well, it was a funny story because I remember standing around after and we we're looking and we went up to the net and there was actually skin on the goalpost <laughs> And I think he oh, got about 30 stitches, something like that. Yeah, so, it was,
0: it was, uh, it
1: was a nasty gash as they'd say. <laughs> yeah. Well, um. now that we've, we've cleared that one up now, November the 11th is a remembrance day, but it's all a remembrance day for you also. Ian. that's the day you got traded to LA for uh, Billy Harris and John Gibson. Now, really? did you know that was coming, or did you sense it, or were you a part of it, or how did that all unfold for you?
0: Well, I, I actually uh, uh, helped orchestrate that. Okay. Yeah. Through through uh, through a go between, um, I I needed I uh, it was time for me to move on. I had been traded so many times it was ridiculous, and then it ne- I never it never came to fruition. and uh, I finally said you know what I I just need to I need to move on and uh, so anyway it wasn't playing too too well wasn't you know it wasn't a good time in my life and uh, so we ended up a mutual friend of mine uh, ended up talking to George McGuire and uh, I guess they they put out some feelers and asked if I'd be interested. And I said, sure, that would, that would be great. And uh, so they were able to put a deal together. So I wasn't surprised because I, you know, I sort of had, I wouldn't, I won't say I had a hand in it, but you know, I had, I had some pretty good info Intel that uh, uh, this could happen. So I said, absolutely. If you can put it together, let's do it.
1: Well, it's one thing to think about it and talk about it, but then when it happens, you end up in LA, and you come from two hockey mecca markets that you grew up in and played in. What was the? It must have been a culture shock when you went to LA. It,
0: uh, it was, uh, in terms of, the, of of hockey, yeah. I mean, it was like uh, you know, uh, totally different environment. I mean, it was eye opening, um, even with the guys and stuff. It was a totally different environment. Uh, the Toronto guys were pretty tight knit group and they would go to lunch together and, and, and hang out together and go out to dinner and whatnot. And uh, the LA guys, when I got here, you know, LA is such a big place. They would be living all over the place. So they were not tight at all. I mean, the end of the, after practice, uh, you know, 20 minutes later, they were all gone. No one, no one was anywhere. So it was, it was a, a cultural shock and then of course you show up at the at the rink at the forum the fabulous forum and there'd be you know 8000 yeah. 8500 people uh, after playing you know years in front of you know sold out uh, stadiums uh, was different but it was nice and I, and I did enjoy it and uh, it was it was a, a breath of fresh air and I actually, I actually was really starting to get my game back together, and uh, it was, it was nice. I scored four goals too uh, with the uh, Kings. I don't yep. know if you knew that. Yeah, I did. Yeah, and they were much better goals. <laughs> <laughs> we haven't looked at the video yet. They were no, they were much better goals. I, I'm telling you right now, they're w- way better, way better goals. Uh, I think it was Glenn ha- Hanlon.
2: Yeah, So, I mean, obviously, that must have been one heck of a, a you know, a, a 180 from being in Toronto. And then yeah. I, I still remember, and I, I think you guys practice at Culver City as well, where, I mean, you're skating down the yeah, ice yeah. and literally the ice is like this with, the, I mean, the bumps and everything. No, it, was, I mean, it was just horrible. I'm it sure was it's not joke. like that I mean, now, I mean, now, but.
0: <laughs> no their, their training facility is uh, world-class now yeah it is it's great yeah it's a, it's a fantastic place yeah as is the the staple center really nice mm-hmm. uh barn but uh yeah i mean I, I mean i remember the uh the practice ring i mean i i think they i think they had fishing net behind you know no screen it was like a fishing net <laughs> 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 and, and the ice was terrible and and uh uh, it was apply The, 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 uh, the dressing room was up, upstairs. They, they sort of candelabred it and it was all like plywood. It was like a shack. <laughs> it's, it's crazy.
1: I was going to ask you, when you moved out to LA and after you just gone through in Toronto and how disappointing it was at the end, I mean, as a player, I mean, as you said, you, you, you played some of, some of your better hockey was coming back and you started playing well, but after that, early part before Punch got there and everything happened. Did you lose something inside, like emotionally, that you knew as a player you could still play your game, but there was something with the control of the team and your destiny being controlled by some guy above you who could make some blundering mistake. It was out of your control. But did that take something away from you as a player and just sort of moralize you somewhat?
0: Oh, no question about it. I mean, you know, I I, I think, you know, I think every. Oh, I can't speak for every player, but yeah. you know, uh, you, you're there to to compete and and uh, do the best you can and, and get as high uh, uh, as you can in terms of standings and whatnot. And when you feel like you you, the carpet's been pu- pulled from under you. You're obviously uh, a little disappointed about it, and that was basically where I was at. Because here, here I was thinking, man, we had worked so hard to to get almost there, and then it was just gone. You know, yeah. and uh, was it was disappointing. There's no question.
1: Yeah. Was, Can you add uh, to that, Squid? You were you're part of that.
2: Well, I was part of that, but then I was kind of rep- part of what I thought was a rebuild, but unfortunately you know, like Hawk was talking about, like we had a general manager that brought people in when they weren't ready to play in the National Hockey League and that ruined their careers. And, you know, we drafted some pretty good hockey players that probably should have went back to junior for a couple of years and came back a little bit stronger mentally and physically. And we, they didn't do that. And, you know, that made us a, a worse team. Like I think if they had done things properly, uh, like – say from 81 or 82 to about 86, the only guy that was really ready to play was Wendell. You know, you look at Jim Benning, Gary Nyland, Boynstruck, uh, Bob McGill, you, know, you look McGill. at you know, on and on. Uh, yeah. You know, I remember RV, I
0: remember I remember those kids coming in and, and just thinking, man, they're really young. Oh, and, yeah. and 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 because and, I remember Benning and, and and they touted him as like the second coming of Christ. Right. I mean, you know, a lot of pressure on a kid and, and yeah. same with uh uh what's his name? Boy, 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 yeah, same, same thing. And then and who was the other kid? Big kid. Uh, All right. McGill
1: and Gary Nyland. McGill,
0: McGill, Bob. Yeah.
1: You know, McGilla. there was
0: a bunch of kids. But I agree with you, RV, Uh, you know, I I looked at them and I said, man, they they got some talent, but boy, they're not ready to play
2: here, you know? And that that was frustrating as hell. I mean, to go through that whole period where we drafted pretty good. I mean, here we are, we're trying to build something. Then we get to 1986 and we have a a decent run. We lose in the second round to St. Louis, I believe it was in seven games. And we're just kind of starting to get momentum. Uh, Dan Maloney was our coach actually, and uh, he yep. wanted a two-year deal, and they they'd only give him Harold would only give him a one-year deal. So off he goes to Winnipeg, right. and now we got to start all over again. So uh, I mean, I know yeah. how frustrating that must have been for you because it was for all of us as well.
0: Well, it, it, you know, it, it. I know you. I know you went through it. I mean, I, I I was long gone by then, but. The, the same ownership was there and the same types of, of problems uh, existed. And, and it was always, again, you know, Ballard not wanting to to cut loose with the money that, yeah. that was required. And, and that's, I mean, you can, it
1: always comes down to that. Well, it doesn't anything we do in this life. And speaking of which, just on a lighter note, uh, we want to thank you again. We've got a few minutes left here to get a uh, few with you in, but a couple of things. She once owned a popular spot on near the gardens, on church, called Grapes. Now, I got to apologize to you because I called it Vines for some reason in my book. Well, you know about- what?
0: It, it, it Vines opened up uh, at the same time. And and uh, we were
1: like the first
0: two wine bars, yeah. in,
1: in North America. Well, I don't and drink I think... wine, so I didn't know that. All I knew was grapes it was and, on and church, and it was a yeah,
0: grapes. Grapes was was the uh, was the name of my place. Yes, and and, and uh, Don Cherry thought I named it after him.
1: <laughs> well, I can tell you that uh, <laughs> I, I got it, A couple people that one guy read the book uh my book at least one person anyway read it he uh he said that he spent a night that you guys got beat out by philadelphia and he was there that night and had had connected with lanny mcdonald he gave them he gave him some crafts of one and some glasses he kept all the glasses and the crafts right and somebody else sent me a note a while ago and said that he also had some when they heard you were coming on the show did you want them back and i Girl, I went to school with sent you know, me. says, said, asking if he wants a couple of glasses. I took from uh, buy from grapes. I keep calling them vines. Yeah. So anyway, they, they, they still remember you. Down the street, a couple blocks, Brian Glenny, your teammate. He has. Uh, yeah, he had he his had his own a place called Wheels. Wheels. Yeah. It was Wheels. the converted gas station. Yeah, I, rem- oh, yeah. I remember. It. I remember it well. Okay, so there must have been some going on between the two of those two of those places. Uh, would you care to share some of those with us?
2: See, I don't remember
1: any of those very
0: well. <laughs> why? Why would you?
1: <laughs> so, how, how did you get started on all that? Like, you know, you did you guys did you know you were going to be in that spot, and then Brian was going to have his own place, and then you got involved? Obviously, I well, like wine, so you got. I was involved. there. I was.
0: I was there first. Uh, we were. We were right across the street. It was. Uh, there was a bank of a bank of commerce, I think, on the corner. And anyway, the site was where the Golden Griddle came in. Yeah. Ultimately, it was a parking lot uh, when I had it. It was a little house that we converted uh, into a wine bar. And uh, I actually had I had a lease with the guys that owned that parking lot. And uh, had I not been traded, I, I probably would have had uh, the Golden Griddle as my space and uh so i i i just we we took a flyer on it and it was it was doing uh, pretty good and uh had a lot
1: of fun with it i mean it was a nice diversion and uh um or a guitar, concept- you go down the street to brian glennie's place and he vice versa he just swing back and forth there must have been a lot of going back but they probably wore the path out going back and forth on the sidewalk
0: well i think i think we also went up to the mug
1: well, I did, uh,
2: all I can say one thing is, is you guys opened up places close enough for us to go to after practice, so we didn't have to go that far. So it was kind of nice of you guys to do that.
0: Yeah, you're welcome.
1: Now, speaking of which, Ian, uh, the, the fans still contact you and reach out to you for uh, get the sign stuff and ask you how you're doing and stuff like that these days? Oh yeah. I, I now, you told me a funny story. I wanted to get to about uh, about your five goal night. Somebody had you memorize something, or uh, I, I want to say I don't want to say mortalize but uh, immortalize maybe is the word uh, for a friend of theirs for the night of your five goal. Do you remember you had to sign that specific thing for them? They sent you a tile, I believe, from the ceiling.
0: Oh 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 yeah. That, that was that was like uh, years later. That's right. Um, Somebody contacted me on messenger or something and asked if I would, if I would, if I would sign a ceiling tile and I went the ceiling tile, <laughs> where, <What? laughs> where, where are we going with this? And so uh, the, I messaged back and I said, well, d- give me a little more information and I'll, I'll see what I can do. So anyway, as it turned out, this guy, the night I scored the five goals was visiting a friend. And um, I guess when I scored the fifth goal, he jumped out of his chair and he knocked the ceiling tile out of this guy's basement and uh, said he was gonna repair it, but he never did and all like that. And uh, the, guy, the guy that owned the house, this, is, this would be like 40, 50 years later, there was a nice, nice, nice old guy and his wife, and so he gave me the details and said, "Okay, can you, can you, you know, jot a little note to them? Sorry about the ceiling tile, uh, you know, and then five goals, uh, uh, you know, was whatever it was, February second, seventy-seven, I guess it was. So, yes, yeah, so, so just do a little f- inscription." And he sent it to me, FedEx. So I, I said, Well, if you send you send it, in return, I'll I'll take care of it and I'll stick it in the box and send it back to you. So I did. And uh I remember I, I think I still have a picture on my phone, but it was it was just hilarious of him uh giving it to the to these these nice old couple now. And Do you ever have one like that,
2: Squid? oh boy i say i've been asked to sign so many weird things and body parts and you name it, and it, it i mean uh, like people uh, like signing uh like someone would say well we'll sign my sneaker or you know something like that and say like, well i mean it's gonna wear off and they don't even understand they just want it signed anyway so you do it and uh but there was a bunch of times where i was asked to sign body parts and uh, said, uh, no, I don't think that's a good idea.
1: <laughs> that's not a good idea. No. Now, speaking of, uh, so jokes like that. Now I hear you were quite the prankster in your time, Mr. Turnbull. Oh, uh, but, he was. Uh, yeah. So uh, how about uh, now Squid, how about any of his pranks come to mind?
2: Uh, well, I do believe that one of them was, uh, and he had an accomplice, uh husky and i believe it was uh punch battery cables coming back from battery. from from the road battery trip. cables yeah battery we get, cables we get into the airport <laughs> they pulled the battery cable off of his battery and they're driving out and Waving cables at Punch because he's standing there and he can't get his car. <laughs> not, oh my God, this is this is And crazy. you wonder why he got traded? Yeah, well, no, it was pretty. You know what? The thing I loved about well, the, when I got there was we had a bunch of really good guys that liked to have fun. We that wanted to win, but. We also wanted to have fun and and enjoy, you know, being NHL players, and and those types of things really lightened up the room and and allowed us to kind of free ourselves up from all the pressure, and you know, get out there and play the way we could play.
1: Yeah, Ian, anything to add before we let you go? No, I'm done. (laughs) Well, that's well, listen it like a true interview. Uh, well, <laughs> we, listen, we can't thank you enough for coming on today. We enjoyed having you. All uh, right, squid. Any final parting shots for your ex teammate?
2: No, I enjoyed playing with him, and uh, I, uh, in fact, my wife was talking to me uh, a while ago, and uh, she's looking after a grandson in Burlington today, and uh, she said to say hello to you and Inga. And uh, oh, great! I've, I've got,
0: I've got two. I have I have two grandkids now.
2: Oh do you? Yeah. Well we just have the yep. one and he's what 18 or 19 months. And uh yep. his name's Hunter Richard Vibe. So uh, who knows? Yeah, say
0: yeah, say hello to Joyce for me.
2: We'll do and please say All hello right. to Aga for us.
0: I will, I will, buddy.
1: Right. And again, thanks so much for joining us, my man. Yeah, you guys are you guys are
0: having fun with this. So I've I've watched a few. They're kind of fun, you know. Yeah.
1: Oh, good. Well, thanks very much. <laughs> All right. Take care. Right. Well, Squid, another one in the bag, and we've got uh, the old Hawk. He he keeps things close to the vest, but he's a pretty funny guy. You get a couple of drinks in, and I'm sure that the the stuff just comes out.
2: Oh yeah. I mean, you know, the the good times that we had together, and uh, uh, I should have mentioned it to him, and I completely forgot. It just didn't come into my mind when we were talking to him, but the time that we got uh, Storm stayed in Pittsburgh, we were chartering home, stayed at a, at a hotel right by the airport and you we weren't allowed to drink in the hotel bars. But Floyd said, yeah, go ahead in the bar and have a few drinks. And we got in there, started drinking. And then, I don't know, arm wrestling came up and I knew Bill Derlengo's father was a Canadian champ. So I knew Billy mm-hmm. was good from my time with him in Vancouver. So anyway, we had, he ended up we had he beat Ian, he beat Paymon, he beat them, Maloney, all those guys. We walked out of there with about three hundred dollars in our pockets each from betting against these guys, <laughs> and they they weren't very happy about that because they knew
1: they were taken. <laughs> Now you told a funny story in your you told a funny story in your book about Ian about uh, being about the dressing room. Do you want to share that one with us? But that that, that we didn't get a chance to tell to about Ian about uh, answering a coach in a certain way when he came in the room with a body part.
2: I don't remember that. The fart. Oh, that, that yeah 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 yeah. I I can't even remember exactly how it went. Now I mean to be honest with it. Uh, I know it's in the.
1: Yeah, I can't he remember. came in and started crying, and then, yeah and then, i mean he came in and started barking at you guys and there was silence and all of a sudden he just leaned over and just ripped away. yeah i mean it's when the team was kind of well he things were did a not lot going of, well. At
2: he did a lot of crazy things funny things and but he was a great player and, and uh unfortunately sure when was. i when i got there he was kind of getting towards the part the, the part of it where he wanted out and Unfortunately, I didn't see him at his best, you know, because I think he, he wanted to get out of there so badly that it, I think it affected how he played. I mean, he was still pretty good, but I, I, I think he still could have been that much better had well, look, the circumstances yeah. been better, you know. And,
1: look what they were going through. Well, that's that what I mean. I mean,
2: yeah, that's what so I mean. You? Like, uh, you know, had, had yeah. he wanted to stay and played well, under different circumstances, we might have been able to build a good a good team because those young guys might have went back to junior because we could have had those guys to, you know, uh, yeah. bridge, bridge that gap. But unfortunately, that wasn't the case. And, uh, um, well, he said it best, and I've said it a million times, probably maybe two million, that the only reason why we never had success was because Harold didn't want to spend money. And that was what it all came down to with, with our boss.
1: That's well, and you know, as I said to you, I've said to you three times like now, the, twice, this will be the second time in last week, reading this book again about the guards and how it was run. Where he was trying to scrimp and save and cheat you guys out of your money and everybody else, he was missing other places. Yeah. It's just I, I, well, one example I'll give you guys, because just, I'm just i just absolutely astonished at some of the things that I've been reading. And to there was no cash registers in the concession booths, if you recall, at the gardens. So they had no control over what they were taking in the concessions. So everybody was robbing them blind. And they had no idea. They had the lowest per capita money spent in the league next to Quebec at no Maple Leaf Gardens. Yes. No, I, I
2: had no idea that was going because, of course, well, I never went but meanwhile, out to concessions, so... <laughs>
1: But meanwhile, he's cheating everybody, the players and stealing, like, stealing the money. Like he was, you know, skimming money, scalping tickets and doing all like all nonsense. Like it, it's it's just, it's absolutely mind boggling. It was going on in that operation for a franchise as iconic as it was, as it is. Yeah. And you wonder why the team didn't win. So anyway, another episode in the bag, uh, in the can, or as they say, and and we want to thank everybody again for listening and uh, send us any of your comments or thoughts that you may have after listening to us. Only positive ones, please. We don't, we don't, we don't hurt our feelings, but anyway, you can watch us on all your favorite podcast networks, Apple Spotify, on, uh, Podbean, Stitcher, and there's a bunch of them. Listen to us, Squid and the Ultimate Elite Fan. We'll be back again at you next week with another guest. We'll talk to you guys soon.